Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And you're in for a real treat today because I have with me Andrew Rawson. Andrew is with Trellient which is a training company. It's much more than that. And we're going to really get into that. He is the CLO for the company. He's got a, I would say, lengthy career in compliance as far back as 2012 with a company called We Compliance. We Comply, rather, who I thought had the greatest ad ever in the print ad in compliance. And I still remember it. Andrew, first of all, thank you for taking the time to visit with me. I'm delighted to be here, Tom. Thank you. So I was wondering if you could uh, give us a little bit about your journey, how you got to where you are now. Sure. Well, I joined We Comply oh, almost 10 years ago, really. And I was with them while they were kind of a, an up-and-coming player in the compliance market. And then We Comply was acquired by Thomson Reuters. And I stayed with Thomson Reuters and eventually was their global head of compliance training. And it was just a great education in what worked and what didn't work and what people liked and didn't like around the topic of compliance. So your journey, I think it's really good that you really explain it in that way because it really demonstrates, I'm very aware of both of those companies, I think most people in the compliance field are, and that that they were really involved with the nuts and bolts of training. But that training has really evolved. And you were telling me a little bit earlier literally about the explosion of business that your company has had. So I thought that would be a great way to just talk about what you're seeing in the marketplace regarding the importance of training and what Trailing has been able to deliver for that business need. Well, it's been an interesting couple of years. First of all, when there's kind of been the intersection of two seismic forces. One, of course, was kicked off by Harvey Weinstein. And That really was the beginning. That was October of 17. And that really ignited the Me Too movement, which was the, for the most part, women who had been wronged somewhere between five and 25 years ago and finally felt empowered to speak up. And this brought the whole topic of compliance training around sexual harassment to the forefront of people's minds. And it became something, even where it's not required by state law to train, where people said that it's really no longer a nice to have, but a need to have. And the other thing that collided with that was the change in state regulations that just in the last two years alone, there's probably 10 million people that work in this country that are now covered by a law requiring them to be trained. And that's because New York State and New York City passed laws that require every employee in the state of New York to be trained. Plus, California changed their training requirement. It was for since 2008, I believe, or 2004, it required training only managers in companies with 50 or more people. Now they drop the threshold down to 15 or more people in a company, and you must train everybody, and employees must have an hour training and employees two hours. So the demand from the state regulations and the growing awareness just in society have really created the demand. And then the kind of maybe a third vector in on this is more states are now passing laws. Delaware passed a training requirement. And what we've seen in the marketplace is that typically organizations that had their own learning and development department that would provide this training because it was kind of one size fits all 
and we can just, you know, create this based on the laws. Now they've kind of thrown the towel in and said, you know, it's just too much. Now we've got employees in New York, we've got employees in California, they have different requirements, and it's just created this tremendous demand uh, for, you know, high quality training. So let me just throw in one other factor that I see from my legal perspective, and it's a factor that I think took a while to really germinate, but it ties in directly to some of the things that you just mentioned, Andrew. The regulators in the form of the Department of Justice began several years ago to talk about effective training. And it wasn't simply enough to have training. It was that a company had effective training. And that effective training had to be measured. But what it did is required companies to go back and look at their training programs and reach out to people like Trailiant to, to help them not only understand what was effective training, but implement effective training. So it's really interesting for me to sit back and kind of watch all of these factors come together for a business need, which you guys are filling. Well, it's interesting. We know in terms of effectiveness, we know a fair amount of things anecdotally. And the first thing is that we've now in the last couple of years have probably had well, well over 100,000 course completions. And virtually every one of those courses has a survey link at the end of it. And we've gotten over 5,000 survey results and above those 5,000, maybe 1,000 have comments. So we know from the comments themselves, now obviously for 1,000 comments, they're not 1,000, you know, 100% positive, but, you know, 90% are. And people are talking about the fact that the things that we've done that are innovative, things like having not just videos in the courses, but interactive videos by having a, I don't like the word gamification because I think that tends to trivialize what we do, but we do have an engagement point system in the course that doesn't measure knowledge, but measures engagement. Did you pay attention? There's trivia questions in there based on what you've seen. That people say, like, finally, somebody's, you know, treating us, um, uh, showing us some respect as learners and not just teaching us about the law. And the other thing that we've done is that I really think is important about effectiveness is one of the complaints I heard at Thomson Reuters about from end users was they said, you know, it's great. You taught me about the law, but you didn't really teach me what to do. So now I know the penalty for this is five years in prison. But OK, what am I supposed to do? So that was one of our kind of our founding principles. We wanted to train, we wanted the law as the foundation. That's got to be there, of course. But we wanted to train people how to behave. In fact, that behavior-based training has really spurred us, a couple other things came together, spurred us to really create bystander intervention training. And we did some research and found some universities that actually have some science behind what type of bystander intervention works. And bystander intervention doesn't mean your boss's boss is, is misbehaving, doesn't mean you have to confront them. There's all types of techniques that people can use. But we learned that when people learn how to behave, they welcome it. They say, now I know what to do. I mean, what do I do when I hear somebody making these subtle comments all the time? Am I supposed to confront them about it? Do I just figure someone else is going to speak up? What do I do? So in terms of making it effective, we know anecdotally that people respond very well to what we're doing. The other thing that we know is that, you know, certainly in the world of compliance, people talk about the importance of the tone from the top. Another thing that we did when we built our first course is we didn't just start by creating a compliance training course. We built a platform that allows us to be very flexible. And what I mean by that is we don't just give somebody a course that's got a bunch of stock photos in it. We'll take virtually every company of any size has a gallery of photos, 
we'll take those photographs and infuse them throughout the course. We absolutely encourage, and we encourage that we put our money where our mouth is, meaning that for a negligible amount of money, we'll put a video of a CEO or other senior person's introduction into a course, because we know that sets the right tone from the top. When people see a senior person addressing them in a course and talking about whether it's sexual harassment or code of conduct, they know people are busy. And they know that when someone takes the time to get that video recorded and put it into a course, that they're setting the right tone from the top, that this is really a serious topic. So we know that that's very important in being effective in training. You know, another interesting point is when the Harvey Weinstein story broke a couple of years ago, the big headlines in the news was good compliance training doesn't work. They've been doing it for 30 years and look at Harvey Weinstein. And I realized that, you know, there's two kind of, I think, missed points there. One of which is that saying compliance training doesn't work is like saying that speed limit signs don't work because people still speed. And the second thing is that compliance training was really never supposed to, at least in the the world of sexual harassment, was never really designed to stop sexual harassment. It was designed to give the lawyers an affirmative defense in a courtroom situation. And that was the point of it. You know, and that's why just to tie this back to the bystander intervention piece, we realize that you're never going to stop the real bad actors from their behavior in the work environment, but you can encourage people really to speak up, right? One of the reasons that the Me Too movement came about is because people didn't feel that they could speak up for a variety of reasons, but one of them was that they didn't think that they'd be taken seriously or they felt they'd suffer retaliation. So it can't be... repeated too often in training in an organization that as long as you bring forth a good faith complaint, that you'll be protected from retaliation. And that's an important part of making training effective is knowing that if people speak up, that they'll be protected. And maybe most importantly, if you can't stop the bad actors, then other people who witness it, and invariably there are witnesses, that you can encourage them to speak up. And that's been something that's very gratifying to hear the feedback from people that have taken the training. Andrew, I'd like to pick up on a couple of points you raised. First of all, when you talked about the reason that the lawyers like training was it provided legal defense. I have to say I could tell a huge smile went across my face. But actually more important is the point that you guys at Trellient seem to have really evolved beyond that, if I can even say to a higher stage of training, which is this engagement. And it's the behavior-based training to help people understand that I still got to be a lawyer and I still got to say it's important for every compliance program to have training. It's a mandatory uh, requirement of any kind of compliance training from EEOC to OSHA to anti-corruption compliance. But when you can take it to the level that you're talking about, it seems to me that's where it really makes a difference and that the comments that you and the company have had regarding in the completion surveys really speak to taking training literally to a new level. No, it's been very gratifying. And it's taking us to, you know, when you start a business, you get good at revisionist history because you start out doing things and then you end up doing things differently. But we never wanted to really be doing kind of custom compliance training, but you go where the market takes you. And our clients have come to us and said, you know, we've rolled out this code of conduct training or this preventing discrimination harassment training. And now we want training on confidentiality, you know, specific to our firm. And we really want it to look the same and have the same look and feel. And so now we have a whole department that just does customized custom training for our clients as well. But one of the things that 
there's a couple of really important things we've learned. I've talked about revisionist history. We knew that we wanted to have training that looked good. We live in a visual age. It couldn't look like PowerPoint. So we did spend the time and money and we hired graphic designers and we hired real screenwriters for our videos and hired real actors. As a matter of fact, our office in California is in a movie studio. But one of the things that we learned after the fact was that the word that people use most often when they're getting positive results from people is they said, the training is very modern. And they said, and it keeps us engaged. They didn't say it was engaging. Everyone says the training is engaging. But because we modeled our training with a little bit of artistic license on a cable news show where we have an on-screen video host that talks about what's coming up, we have different segments where we've taken things like frequently asked questions and we turn those into tweets and answers or emails from our viewers, quote unquote. But people said they like the fact that everything they do, something new comes up. They don't know, oh, here's something, here's a tweet. And, you know, is it really a tweet or is it dramatization and so on? So that's been really effective in terms of getting people to engage with the training as it's presented. But the other thing is, it was something that was missing that we felt that too much of compliance training was just check the box training. And we'd never do it, but I almost feel like, you know, I'd like our marketing message to be, we're the company. If you just want to check the box, we're not your company. Because we just think that that once a year, get it over with approach is not really effective. It doesn't send the right tone from the top. So the other thing that we've evolved to doing, and again, basically feedback from our customers, which has been just fabulous, is we've gone from this once and done approach to this more, you know, holistic approach, this more shared vision approach. So we recently came out with a course that's on retaliation. Now, retaliation is covered in all of our courses. It talks about people being protected. But what one of our clients came to us and said, you know, we've got 18,000 employees. We're always in the middle of investigations. We're always finishing an investigation. And we'd like just a 15-minute course, a 20-minute course that we could send out to all the managers involved in an investigation where they understand what is and isn't retaliation. Because one, obviously we don't want them retaliating, but then we have some managers that the pendulum swinging too far the other way and they're saying, listen, I know about retaliation. Whatever this person does, nothing, you know, they are bulletproof. You know, unless it's kryptonite, they're bulletproof. And that's not the case either. So, you know, now we're moving into this really behavioral-based training. So meaning if you're involved in an investigation, we have training for retaliation. We also realize that one of the unintended consequences of the Me Too movement is that a lot of people, and particularly younger people we've learned, are deathly afraid of asking somebody out socially at work. Hey, I'm going to ask somebody out. I'm going to get arrested. So there are things you can do. You know, you can ask somebody out politely once, provided it's in accordance with the company's policies. But legally, it's okay to do it once because, you know, the sexual advance has to be unwelcome. And until you do it once, you don't know whether it's unwelcome. So we came out with a two-minute video called Love Happens, and it's about consensual relationships, and it's shot with an actress that's on location, and it's shot like selfie style, where she's talking to the camera about what you can and can't do. And it's just been a great thing. We had people send it out for Valentine's Day. We've got other ones that are about holiday party guidelines, what you can do, what you can't do, what to be careful of. So we're trying to take training, compliance training, from this Okay, let's just get this done. It's January. Let's get this over with. By the way, we call these short trainings, we call them sparks because they're not refreshers. They're not training. They're designed to spark a conversation. 
Because if you talk about stuff, right, that's what therapy is all about, getting people to talk about things. Things get better when you talk about them. So if people are discussing about what am I allowed to do in terms of asking somebody out, that's a great thing to spark a conversation about. Or about holiday party guidelines. Like last year, somebody really got carried away and nobody said anything. So now people are saying like, you know what, I understand that we're supposed to speak up and here's how we're supposed to do it. So we're really trying to like really move the, I'm not sure the right cliche to use, you know, move the ball down the field, move the needle, but move away from this once done, once a year, click next, click next, to creating a dialogue between compliance and the rest of the people in the organization and let people know that the organization is serious about compliance and serious about enforcement and serious about protecting people as well. Then we think we're really doing a service if we get that message out there. Andrew, one of the things, if I could change the focus just a little bit, one of the things that struck me about the website is there's just a plethora of tools and resources available literally for anyone. And one of those tools is a blog that you guys put up. And one of those blogs posted in January was entitled Preventing Workplace Sexual Harassment for Trends for 2019. And I was wondering if you just might be able to go through those trends and really tie that into not only what you've seen, how the markets evolve, but where you think training is going forward. Well, that's a good question. Well, the first thing about that is, you know, in 2016, the EEOC published that report, which didn't really get as much play as I thought it should. It was a very long report. It was very thoroughly done about what works and what doesn't work in compliance training. And they talked about the importance of civility training, right? And they talked about, you know what? We don't recommend that you have a zero tolerance policy because that kind of can send the wrong message too. So I do think that there is a lot more that the EEOC is really trying to help just the entire nation evolve to more effective compliance training. I already talked about you know, one of the trends in moving away from the training just designed to help the company avoid liability, but to really help people behave properly. No question, that's an important piece of it. And here's a third point about that blog, which I do think is really being driven by the states. Because we started out, and this is part of my comment about revisionist history, we didn't realize how important this would be in the beginning, but building a platform as opposed to a course has turned out to be, I'd like to tell you it was you know, strategic planning, but it was just good <laughs> fortune, frankly. But because the laws in New York are so fundamentally different than the laws everywhere else, we have companies saying, you know what, we want to have the New York training different than the people that we train in Texas. And that, of course, is different than the people we have in California. So as the states continue to expand their coverage, that we've got a platform, and most importantly, people will want a platform where they can deliver just the right training to the people that need it. So California requires one or two hours of training. I want to do that, but I don't want to train everybody everywhere on one or two hours, depending if they're an employer or a manager. And if somebody's in Delaware, I just want to deliver my standard you know, employee training plus the small piece I need to comply with the Delaware law. So that I think that people don't want to just have a, you know, compliance training is traditionally been just this, this hub and spoke model. There's a learning management system in the center and everybody gets sent everything. But now it's becoming much more nuanced where we want to train the people in Delaware just on the Delaware material, the people in New York just on the uh, New York material and so on. 
So that's definitely, and more and more laws are definitely in the works. There's, I believe it's Illinois has something just training people in the restaurant industry. New Jersey has a law that's working its way through the Senate now. So that's going to be a very important part of the future that people are going to want to be able to make sure that their training complies with state laws, but not every state law, because that would be a mess if if everyone was trained on every state law. And then finally, I remember reading somewhere, Tom, that the single best indicator of whether somebody was going to behave ethically in an organization was whether they felt their boss was ethical. And I think the corollary of that in the world of code of conduct training and sexual harassment training is if people believe that the company is serious about having a respectful, inclusive, harassment-free workplace. If people believe that's going to happen, then maybe not the worst of the people out there won't change their behavior, but the people that are kind of could go either way, if they think the organization's serious about enforcing these rules and policies and laws, they won't misbehave. And if people are confident that they can bring something up, and even if it turns out that they heard something and they misheard and they misunderstood, so it really wasn't, somebody really wasn't discriminated against, it was just a misunderstanding, but they'll bring it up if they're confident that they're not going to be retaliated against. So that's the fourth piece. And I think if people really believe that culturally we embrace these laws, we do them because we want to. If I can paraphrase uh, John Kennedy, we go to the moon not because it's easy, but because it's hard. So we embrace these laws not because we have to, but because we want to. That's what I think will be the touchstone of the future for companies that people want to join because they're serious about building the right environment. Well, Andrew, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I was wondering if any of our listeners wanted more information on Trallient, how would they find out? Well, the best thing to do is go to our website, which is T-R-A-L-I-A-N-T. It's the contraction of training and compliant. Trallient is fine, but Trallient.com. Well, Andrew, I wanted to thank you. This has been a fascinating exploration of really some cutting-edge concepts in compliance training, harassment training, and a wide variety of others. I greatly look forward to continuing the conversation. Well, Tom, thank you. It's a pleasure. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.